Can I help you, gentlemen? Swordfish? And who are you here to see? You can't do that now. I just gave you the money. Come on. Do we look like cops? Sir? I have a very good friend. I can't remember the guy's name. How about if I give you our names? I'm Dick Dollars. This is Mike Moneybags. And this? Tilden Katz. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Fine. Here. That's a 20. Gentlemen. <laughs> is it Milwaukee? Yes, it is. Son of a bitch. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. As always, I'm your host, Mike Levito. And I'm your other host, Kathleen Levito. Today, we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 9, Six-Month Leave. Uh, Kathleen, any, any, any first thoughts on this episode? Um, it's kind of a, it's, a, it's one of the episodes that I think is a catalyst for a lot of new storylines that pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of get things moving. Um, yeah. And for that, I enjoyed this episode just for the fact that it's like, continuing storyline yeah it it also feels like it's one of the first that really like handles like a big like national headline i mean we you had very like new york centric stuff like there's that one plane crash that beats father dies in Mm -hmm. um i was talking about this the episode where marilyn Monroe dies yes and it feels like the the sort of first time that really gravel something of that weight and and how it affected the people in this world and also kind of what else we can learn from that and about just kind of the way that like society was structured and the way it thought about itself in the 1960s um so with all that in mind uh let's let, let's get started with the synopsis of six monthly which is directed by michael uppendale and written by andre jacques and maria jacques and matthew wiener uh, we open with don who's been kicked out of the house in Austin, waking up at the roosevelt hotel in new york and picking up the morning newspaper which carries the headline as i said announcing marilyn rose death um, we also see Betty wake up, and she watches Carla ferry off the kids to school without interacting with either Carla or the kids. Um, Peggy and Don get in the elevator at work <clears throat> and talk about Marilyn's death with Hollis, the elevator operator. Peggy tells Don that it's a good thing that Playtex didn't go for their Jackie Marilyn campaign, and her reaction really contrasts with that of a lot of the other women in the office who are very distraught over the death, whereas Peggy's all business about it. Uh, Don, Harry, Paul, Sal, and Ken have a meeting at the Sterling Cooper Blood Drive, which Don seems overly invested in. Harry offers Don and Betty tickets to see Mitch Miller in concert with Harry and Jennifer, but Don says, quote, his kid is sick, clearly trying to duck something. Um, Meanwhile, in Don's office, Jane reveals that Sally called Sterling Cooper asking when Don would be back from his business trip, um, meaning that... uh, She's the first person Don has to tell about him staying in the Roosevelt, she being Jane. Uh, Peter, Sal, and Peggy go into Freddie's office to rehearse for the impending Samsonite presentation. Freddie seems pretty drunk. He hands Sal an almost overflowing glass of liquor. And while the rehearsal goes smoothly at first, he ends up wetting himself and then passing out at his desk. 
Somewhat panicked, mortified, and amused, the three decide to tell the clients, who are in the lobby, that Freddie is sick and have Peggy give the presentation herself. Freddie wakes up in his office, leaves, covering his soiled pants as the secretaries kind of stare at him, and he kind of hears squishing and squeaking in his shoes as he's walking out the door. Roger comes into his office to find Joan asleep on the couch, crying about Marilyn Monroe. Roger just very dismissive of, of her grief, and Joan says, one day you'll lose someone who's important to you. You'll see how very painful it is. Meanwhile, back in Austin, we see a lot of shots of Betty depressedly fussing around the house, defrosting the refrigerator. She's drinking in the middle of the day. She's listening to the radio about Monroe's death and just kind of turning it off. Eventually, Sarah Beth wakes her up by ringing the doorbell to pick up a dress for some event that Betty was also supposed to be at and that Betty has forgotten about and then ducks out, um, saying she can't be there because she, she isn't feeling well. Um, when they go to get the dresses and look at them, Sarah Beth talks about how she's been fantasizing about Arthur, their friend from the stable, and how Betty must not worry about that sort of thing because she and Don are such a handsome couple. Like, Sarah Beth is feeling very sort of stuck in a rut in her marriage, but of course Betty and Don must feel great, right? Because they're both super attractive people. They have to be constantly happy. Um, Betty kind of is uncomfortable with this and tells her to leave and that they can keep talking at their lunch date on Thursday. Later that night, we see Don bring the kids home from dinner, only to leave for another, quote, business trip. Don and Betty discuss and argue about what to tell their kids about their current situation. Don, of course, wants to come home, and Betty is not interested in that at all. The next day, which is the day of the ball drive, Don walks into his office to find a, a bag of new shirts purchased by Jane for him. Don is summoned into Roger's office and finds Duck and Pete in there already. Pete tells Don about what happened with Freddy, who Don defends, but the decision to fire him has already been made. Don is still against this and hangs back after the meeting to discuss with Roger, who said that they just, they're just going to give him a six-month leave to get the, quote, cure, and that they should take him out for one last night on the town. Mingling outside of the blood drive area, Sal, Ken, and Harry joke about Freddy, and then Don comes along and kind of admonishes them for it. Uh, at the stables, Betty approaches Arthur and asks if he's seen Sarah Beth lately, but he alludes that something may be wrong with Sarah Beth and suggests that the three of them go to lunch to cheer her up which is odd because weren't Betty and Sarah Beth already getting lunch? Betty seems pleasant about this, but when Arthur kind of turns away, her smile drops into like kind of this all-business face. Later that night, Roger and Don and Freddy go out to dinner where they tell Freddy he's being let go. Freddy talks about what he'll do in the future, and Roger suggests they go out for one more night on the town. Eventually, they just get really hammered and end up at an underground casino. At the casino, while Freddy is gambling, Roger asks Don about his living situation. He suspects something's up, saying he's noticed that he's come in earlier and left later to work. Don doesn't really budge on the details. Uh, Don stands up to go talk to Freddy, who turns out is talking to Jimmy Barrett, this guy who just cannot get out of Don Draper's life. <laughs> Don punches him out, and then the threesome leaves the casino before more trouble starts. They send Freddy off in a cab, and then they head off to another bar where Don opens up that he's been staying at the Roosevelt. They go back and forth about sort of like the meaning of life and and and, and just how they're feeling, basically. It's very sort of like drunk 3 a.m. conversation. And Don concludes just saying, it's your life. You have to move forward, which seems to leave a bit of an impression on Roger. The next day, Sarah Beth is seated outdoors, waiting for Betty to arrive for their lunch date, but is met by Arthur instead, to her surprise. Uh, she's pleasantly flustered, tells the weird that there'll be three, and they kind of get all flirty. Meanwhile, in Austin, Betty's making cookies with the kids and takes the phone off the hook so no one can reach her in case, say, they wonder why she's not at a lunch date she's supposed to be at. As Sterling Cooper, Peggy comes in to see Don, who tells her that she did a great job with the Samsonite meeting and will be getting all of Freddy's accounts because he's going to be taking some time off, quote unquote. Don then tells her that he didn't appreciate walking to the ambush with Duck and Pete earlier. And Peggy says that she doesn't see why anyone needed to know what happened with Freddy and didn't even know the meeting with Pete and Duck was happening. 
So Peggy storms into Pete's office to berate him for what happened. Pete shows absolutely no remorse. And when Peggy says that she'd still be a secretary, if not for Freddie, Pete says, well, if not for me, you'd still be a junior copywriter and asks if they can congratulate each other on their promotions. Now we see her new role manifest when she's actually asked about her opinion on a campaign by doc in a later meeting. Later, Don is asleep on his couch in his office when he's woken up by Mona Sterling, who tells him that Roger has left her for a secretary and blames Don for it. Roger essentially said, oh, you know, it, it's implied that Roger relayed a bit of their conversation from the other night to Mona. And that sort of like helped Roger justify leaving her. Uh, Don has no idea what's going on, but Mona mentions that the, the you have to move forward line from the other night. Uh, she leaves and Roger tries to get her to calm down, but Mona rightfully refuses to and tells Roger to tell Margaret about what's happening. Jane starts crying and Roger starts consoling her. It becomes very clear who Roger is leaving Mona for. Don realize, realizes what's going on and tells Roger that she, that he wants Jane off his desk. End of show. Uh, Kathleen, what theme did we pick for this episode? We chose dignity. Why? Um, I think we see a lot of characters struggling to, you know, maintain their dignity or to be given dignity in the wake of a lot of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like embarrassing situations. Yeah, I think so. I think really central to this episode are a lot of things that happen is even I think this debate about like who deserves dignity, right? Um, is it an inherent human right or is it something you have to earn? Um and we get a series of characters who are who either are or are not afforded some degree of dignity. And 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 that's not just the conflict is that they're being refused respect, essentially. It's also that there are others who think that they are um, they think that they're merited it. Right. Like right off the bat, there's this debate around dignity. Marilyn Monroe. Um, to her, to Roger, her death isn't like super tragic. And so this the 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 secretary's reaction to it kind of like flummoxes him and. Uh, when he tells Jane that Jane isn't like Marilyn, so she shouldn't be worried about anything happening to her, that she doesn't have anything to worry about, um, that, you know, this idea of dignity that, like, Marilyn Monroe may have died in an undignified way because she overdosed or whatever doesn't really matter to these women who saw themselves in her, right? Or at least saw their best selves in her. She was a person that they felt close to, even though they didn't know her, and that's enough. Um, I was thinking there's just, like, a disconnect between, like, an old guy and like young woman where it's like Roger says that he hated Roosevelt, but he felt like he knew him, which means that he felt some kind of connection to this person. He also didn't know. Um, clearly the woman felt like the new Marilyn Monroe, but Roger kind of brushes it off because it doesn't really jive with his experience. Of course, Roosevelt had to be mourned and, and, and dignified, even though he didn't like him because he was president of the United States. He was a leader of men. Whereas who is Marilyn Monroe, right? Why does she deserve this kind of outpouring of grief? Anything else about Marilyn Monroe? Um, I think that's a big one. I think that kind of sets the stage for a lot of the, the other instances we see yeah yeah um and, and I, I also think the show kind of like tries to draw a parallel between betty and Marilyn as well you know they're both two beautiful blondes who are kind of like depressed and abusing substances throughout the show um and even though betty's gotten on out of the house she still feels like she's been robbed of her dignity right and these dutiful household chores that she used to kind of do it seems fairly um happily they they now kind of feel subservient and empty like they've lost their meaning because instead of like helping contribute to like happy husband and this happy life that she she had known it it all feels like a lie right yeah um she really doesn't know what to do with herself um rather than wall through she kind of tries to move forward um I, i think that's kind of like the point of like her turning off the radio when they're talking about marilyn monroe's death is that like she's like well i'm not gonna be like her right 
um, I'm going to have sort of what she views as self-respect, but this kind of ends up manifesting in ugly ways. Like she chooses to manipulate Sarah Beth and kind of like toy with her. It's almost like she feels like she's somehow like complicit in her, in Betty's unhappiness. And that like her comments about like Don and Betty being perfect, is kind of like making her the enemy or something. And so like forcing her and Arthur together is like her attempt at like revenge by proxy or something. Like it's a way to make her feel dignified and in control, or at least make herself feel more dignified than someone else. Right. Any, anything else about Betty? Um, I think just like a comment again, like with the Sarah Beth situation, like a lot of what Sarah Beth said to her mirrored what people were saying about uh, Marilyn Monroe. And I think Roger says something like um, when Joan is upset, he says something to her like, you know, like why you feel so bad for her. She had everything. She had fame. She had money. She like Mm. all of that stuff. And it's kind of the same for Betty where like the comments she's getting are like, well, I have no, like, I don't need to feel bad about you. I don't need to worry about you. You have like the perfect household and the perfect husband and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like on some level, that's what, like, what do you need after that? Right. Who needs dignity when you have all of that? Who cares how you get it or, or what's going like people only see sort of like the surface of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they don't see the ways in which it might be sort of like artificial or, or or built on lies even right yeah or that there's some kind of turmoil going on underneath now in terms of like <laughs> behavior that's like very much on the surface think of like freddie who like i don't think anyone has described his behavior as dignified um but pete obviously finds it particularly offensive mm-hmm. and in his mind stitching on freddie's warranted he calls freddie those people referring presumably to alcoholics and he says they always blame their problems on others or society or something like that Whereas Peggy kind of seems to think that people are, are afforded an inherent sense of dignity. Like this offends Peggy, not only because Freddie was like good to her, but because this didn't seem like something that people had to know about. Right. It was like it was only no, only three other people really knew about it. And, and they had like a duty to not tell anybody. Um, and, and so in, in a way, like she feels Freddie's kind of o- o- owed something and like his good deeds that way, his other sort of like less appealing aspects of his nature. Whereas Pete doesn't think that at all. I think Freddie has no self-control and as such, you know, he doesn't really care what happens to Freddie because in his mind, Freddie kind of all brought it on himself. And and Roger and Don kind of seem to agree with Peggy a bit more than Pete does. Like, they don't really think he did anything wrong. They think it was very, just very typical of him. Um, But Freddie, he gets kind of scared, right? He talks about when they're at dinner, how he's worried about what's going to happen to his future and kind of like, he had the dignity of like a high paying job and a stable life and living in like New York, the center of the world. Um, he, he had good income. He had prestigious position. And now, you know, he might have to move to like Boston or Philadelphia, God forbid, um, to try and pick his life back up. And so they kind of treat Freddie like a king for a day to try and restore some semblance of dignity. Right. That's how I kind of like read um, the, their night out is like, we're, we're going to we're, we're going to treat you like a king. Um, we're going to give you everything you would ever want. You're going to have a good time. And, 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 you know, this is all going to be, it's, it's, it's all going to, it's all going to be Danny. It's all going to work out. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts on on Freddie and dignity? Um, I think that's the main one. I think you also see, you know, um, Don fight for Freddie a lot. Mm -hmm. And Don doesn't want Freddie to lose his job or anything. And I think he like, I think Don sees it more like he's always been good. Like why this one, this one offense, why are you trying to like, you know, um, make a big thing about this or like why are you trying to take away his life because mm-hmm. of this one thing um, so yeah you see that as well yeah it's kind of interesting right like it kind of jibes with Don's background 
you know, Don like sort of like basically forced his way into having a second chance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't really understand why Freddie can't also be afforded the same thing, especially when his, you know, Don had to like pretend to be a dead guy to get a second chance. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, they just have to not tell anybody about what happened to Freddie and he can get a second chance. Um, there's also the thing like that. I, this is like a thing that I, I didn't really unpack too much, but like, I, and you know, it made me think about how like characters, backgrounds kind of play into this too where yeah i think it's sort of like peggy's catholic background and sort of Pete's like more protestant background and um there's this idea of like the covenant of grace versus the covenant of acts or like the puritans who first came to to like massachusetts in the united states who are all protestant they thought that sort of like you know a human being can't sort of ensure that they're going to heaven or anything like that they have to sort of rely on god to pick them to go there whereas Catholicism is more of a covenant of acts, so they think that as long as you do good deeds, there's a good chance you go to heaven as well. And I kind of view the whole Peggy P thing through that lens a little bit, right? Like, Peggy's like, yeah, Freddie screwed up, but he's done a lot of good things, too. He's done good things to me. Compare, like, Freddie's behavior, which, yeah, is embarrassing to some degree, but, like, compare it to the behavior of, like, Roger or Preet or even Don, and he's, like, one of the more upstanding people in the office. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas Pete just assumes that he, because he acts sort of slovenly, he is inherently sort of inherently irredeemable. Um, whereas Peggy still sees a way that he can kind of, uh, you know, Peggy still thinks he's worth something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That's kind of all I had. Dignity is just, you know, I, I think this kind of idea of dignity and what is dignified is a big through line throughout the show. It's a tricky concept, right? Um I think that what what this episode begins to reveal is that there was this idea that as long as undignified things were kept where they're supposed to be and out of sight, there was really nothing wrong with them happening and people could still maintain their dignity. I think about Don and Roger, who are, of course, adulterous, but for the most part, it's not really spoken of. They kind of keep it under wraps, sometimes not so well. Sometimes they do do pretty well. They keep it swept away. You know, I, I think that the gambling aspect of this is also kind of like it, it alludes to that, right? Like gambling is frowned upon and illegal to some degree. But in the underground casino, they can do as they please without any interference, right? There's gambling going on, there's prostitution, but it's out of sight, out of mind. So nobody really cares. And the rest of the world looks OK. You know, if you were to walk down the street, you wouldn't think that there was a gambling problem in New York City. You wouldn't think there was a prostitution pr- problem, even though those things are going on right under people's noses, literally under their feet. Um, adultery, alcoholism, these things are like out of sight, out of mind. Um, and that's what I think sort of made the whole episode of the bears upsetting to the Drapers, right? The fact that Jimmy Barrett knew what was going on between Don and Bobby and then surfaces to Betty made that, that's what made it a problem, right? Um, and the fact that Roger will outwardly leave his wife for a younger woman with whom he'd presumably been carrying on for a little bit is also a problem, right? There's this crack, uh, this is it's a very fragile setup and, and the cracks are beginning to show. Right. And the thing is, is that Betty is refusing to pretend like anything that's going on is dignified anymore, as is Mona. Right. Yeah. Um, and there are lines in this episode, of course, of, of some people just hiding in plain sight and of, of Jane being a discreet person. This idea of discretion, which we've talked about in a previous episode and and hiding in plain sight and, and things like this. Really, it's the idea of like, well, we can do a lot of bad things, but as long as nobody knows, it's okay. And we're being we're beginning to see people reject that concept, which I think really sort of like pushes forward a lot of what goes on in the rest of the show. Yeah, I'd agree. Anything else about this theme of dignity before we move on to our awards? My only one other comment was that like 
uh, when they're in the underground, when they're taking Freddie out. Mm-hmm. You know, Roger's talking to Don. They have that conversation. And in that moment, Roger seems to still feel like there is some type of structure. And it's like, well, you get married because you get married. That's what you do when you keep your wife because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just how you it's just how you live it. Mm-hmm. And then there's something that switches in him during that conversation that makes him realize, like, I don't need to be like the stereotypical, like I can step outside of that and I can like my undignified behavior doesn't have to maintain, like continue to be a secret. Right. In some way it's like he realizes the lie of dignity, but instead of, instead of viewing it as like a hypocrisy, well, he views it as a hypocrisy, but for a different reason. Right. It's like, he's like, Oh, this is inherently hypocritic, hypocritical. So it really doesn't matter if I do anything bad out in the open because no one's going to care anyway, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas with Mona, it's like, no, this is very hypocritical and you're ruining my life. Um, and yeah, I think what you said, like even like Don sort of like refusing to talk about what really happened um, or like, you know, his situation living at the Roosevelt, like, you know, and he also dodges the question like at work. He says, oh, well, I can't go to that concert review, Harry, because my kid is sick. Well, that's not why he can't go. He can't go because he and his wife aren't talking to each other. Um this idea of just kind of like keeping things out of plain sight, being discreet about them, you know, it seems like sort of the polite thing to do and, and the dignified thing to do. But in reality, it just kind of it seems to enable hypocrisy and, and encourage bad behavior. Yeah. All right. Ready to move on to our awards? Let's do it. All right. Um, so for our Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week, uh, who did you have, Kathleen? I'd say Pete. Yeah, I would also say Pete um he 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 screws over freddy um he snitch, he snitches on him and and he's proud of it and he's really not remorseful about it at all um that's not to say that you know freddy didn't have a problem <laughs> or that maybe pete should have told someone that freddy had a problem but you know he clearly he didn't do it for the good of freddy or for anybody else he did it for the good of himself yeah exactly and uh and coerces that that congratulations out of peggy it's just very unseemly um, as far as Roger Strong Memorial Coil of the Week, there weren't like a ton of great ones in this one, um, but I'm going to go back to Pete uh, when uh, uh, they're, they're rehearsing for the thing. Uh, you know, Pete's talking about how they're going to talk to people from Sam's Night. He mentioned that one of the executives just had a child and Sal goes, oh, boy or girl. And Pete goes, that's good. As in just realizing like, oh, you don't like it's like that's that's like not a thing. Not it's mean like, oh, I, Pete, normal human being wouldn't just be normally interested to ask what the sex of your child. I have to for like business reasons instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this sort of like just like dispassionate, impersonal, like frigid Pete we all know and love. Mm-hmm. No one loves a weird way to put it. But you know what I mean? All right. Ready for foreshadowing? Let's do it. Okay. Any you had right off the bat? Um, so kind of like a convoluted one, but um, the death of a celebrity mm-hmm. kind of marking a big twist in Roger's life. Like immediately after we find out about the death of Marilyn Monroe, um, you know, he, he ends things with his wife. And then we have later in later seasons, there's the assassination of JFK. Is mm-hmm. that the event that happens? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
that um, happens right before his daughter's wedding. Yeah, yeah. Um, very unfortunate time to schedule a wedding. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, just kind of turned, turns everything upside down. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, yeah, there will be that. Um, you know, we'll see the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, sort of the assassination of RFK, which they don't deal with too much. But yeah, like JFK's assassination is like the one that like I think affects Roger the most on a personal level and like anyone the characters the most on a personal level. Um, I had that. So the, the customer that uh, Freddie was supposed to meet with is Samsonite. Of course, Samsonite will be the client who are there, they're trying to write an ad for in the suitcase, which is arguably the best Batman episode. Um, when, when Don and Peggy are kind of up all night trying to write an ad uh, for them. Uh, Roger, of course, leaves with his secretary, which Don will and also end up getting married to secretary later on in the series. He'll marry Megan, of course. Um, Freddie, Roger and Don talk about an African-American employee was hired at an ad firm and 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 Rod and Don just like I hate to be that kid, which I feel like kind of like um, foreshadows a bit of like the uh, there will be some African Americans hired later at, at Sterling Cooper Draper Price, um, specifically the other Don, Don's secretary, D A W N. Um, Roger says that Freddie in the war was in charge of killing Germans, and we'll get not too soon after this. Um, Don will get very upset when his father-in-law, Gene, shows his son a the helmet of a German that Gene killed in World War One, mm-hmm. and, and Don has this thing like, that was a person in there, right? Um, and, and, and is kind of just, like, upset that, like, Gene's being so cavalier about this thing that held a dead guy's head. <laughs> um, this is not really foreshadowing, so much as, like, backshadowing, but... Uh, when, when Roger and Don are out later that night, um, Don refers to him punching out Jimmy Barrett as a real Archibald Whitman move. Mm-hmm. And, and Roger's like, who's that? And Don's like, oh, some hot-headed drunk I knew. Archibald Whitman, of course, is Don's birth father. Um, I had Don, when Peggy walks into Don's office to hear that she's been essentially promoted, tells her to take a seat. Um, Close the door, take a seat is the name of the season three finale, which is the episode in which uh, Sterling Cooper Draper Price is formed. And then uh, when Sarah Beth comes to get pick up the dresses from Betty, they look at one orange one. Now, either Betty or Sarah Beth says that something to the effect of like, oh, I'll look like orange Sherbert. Um, and Don's love of orange Sherbert will actually be a like inciting plot point in a later episode um, when when he and, and Megan go to Howard Johnson's and he gets very upset that she doesn't like orange Sherbert and she storms off and it's a whole thing. Any uh, any other foreshadowing? I mean, this is the first divorce in a series of. <laughs> That's divorces. true. Yes, many um, other. Yeah. But other than that, nothing really. Yeah, let's see. Roger will get divorced again. Uh, Don will get divorced. To, well, twice. Twice. Pete, I guess, gets divorced. He gets separated. Yeah, I don't know if they ever actually get officially divorced. Harry will get divorced, and and I guess that's it. That's still a lot, though, for That's one show. <laughs> so, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the, the marital unrest period of the show is beginning to start. A- any final thoughts on this episode? Um, nothing right now. So I did actually, I, I kind of had one. It's really, it's actually a question posed, posed at you. Okay. Um, 
So Marilyn Monroe dies and all the women are very upset because they felt like they knew her. They felt like they saw themselves in her. They felt connected to her. She's clearly like an icon, clearly someone who just kind of like all the women in the office really loved. And I'm curious as a woman in 2020, do you think that there's anybody who would have that effect today if they, if they died prematurely? That's a good question. Um, I honestly feel like fame is a very hostile landscape for women in the the 2020s. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can't win and you are constantly losing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's like a beloved character that is like, or character meaning person, human. Right, right, yeah. Um, I feel like people are so quick to hate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of people like, like men, I think are more lovable. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just me like being aware of more male actors, mm-hmm. um, like Tom Hanks. Like right. I was saying to um, my partner, like uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, um, <laughs> just like people who just seem like good, like Chris mm-hmm. Evans, people who like inter like interview well are like good, mm-hmm. enjoyable like people. I'm trying to think of like a woman who has that though yeah it's weird i the the i think the thing i and i actually read an article about this recently the closest thing i can think of and this would have had to have been within a very specific time period would have been like maybe jennifer lawrence yeah where it felt like she was sort of like oh she's like america's sweetheart america's best friend for one point but i don't think that's the case anymore and it was such a small period and i think that actually a lot of women didn't really like i mean maybe (laughs) i'm speaking for myself yeah. But there was, like, kind of a fakeness about her, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I think, like, rose pretty quickly. Not saying that she's, like, a fake person, but I think that's when people started taking her, like... Right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Taylor Swift. Okay. I don't know. Like, for sure. For sure at one point. 100%. Right, Taylor Swift. Right. I don't know now if, like, she's less, like, her, like, aura... Mm-hmm. is like less innocent and like fun and like the every girl yeah. um if it would have the same impact mm-hmm. but i think that in my mind that's the closest yeah i'm thinking maybe beyonce yeah but I, it, it's weird though right it's weird to think kind of of like it does feel like there isn't really it is, it, it, it's weird that it doesn't feel like there's that person i guess right yeah and that she was so universal where she was like a sex symbol, but she was beloved by both sexes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, it just like, and I, I don't really feel like you get, it doesn't feel like you get that anymore. Um, or at least there, it's just not the same. Uh, I think like celebrity is different too. Um, because is, there's it. more people, like there are more forms of celebrity now and there's different views of celebrity where there's celebrities who like, you know, post pictures of their quote unquote real life. Mm-hmm. Or, like, that's, like, their fame is sharing, like, a supposed real life with you. Then there's the celebrities who's in the movies. And those type of celebrity are more, like, you know, guarded and more, like, edited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like, also if, like, it would hit the same. Because, like, we now have access in so many different ways to see celebrity. And so many different definitions of celebrity. Um that just might be a little different too. Yeah. I also feel like because of that, it makes it hard for like a celebrity to have to feel like the kind of celebrity that would connect with a lot of people. It feels like it'd be hard for their death to feel sudden. Yeah. 
right? Because it's almost like it, feel, it would feel like we would know something was going to happen. Like, like for instance, like take like Miley Cyrus when she like left Hannah Montana and became mm-hmm. like the twerking Miley Cyrus and stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. like that is so you can see like there was such a change so instantly. It's like if something happens, like you saw it coming, kind of. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. And I also think maybe part of it too is just that like we're talking about dignity that like people they don't celebrities don't feel the need to try and like uphold that veneer as much anymore right yeah i feel like you know i'm thinking of like just like messes of like the last decade like i think of like amanda Bynes, mm-hmm. um britney spears way before that um what's her name bella thorne oh yeah just just like these sort of like and I know, i'm trying i'm not trying to be mean but like train wrecks for lack of a better word who usually had like either a drug problem or or or, or, or mental illness or something and it certainly wasn't all their fault that they were acting that way but it, it just and it, and it feels like it doesn't really garner like a ton of sympathy anymore yeah um and they're really more the target of derision and it's be, because it's so out in the open that maybe they just don't really feel real to people anymore yeah um and the minute it almost feels like the minute people stop seeing others cele- themselves and celebrities that they abandon them yeah and because Marilyn monroe had more of sort of like a pr machine and 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 was was you just saw less of her it was easier to make that projection but now because we see so much of celebrities maybe they feel like they're our best friend more but we don't really project ourselves onto them as much yeah all right I agree with that. good talk <laughs> um you've been listening to a thing like that a podcast about Mad Men. thanks so much for doing that um i'm mike levito uh you can find me on twitter at mlevito and letterbox at Mike. I'm Kathleen Levito. I'm currently off social media, so you can find oh. me nowhere. Um, but we'll see if that changes. Haven't decided my path with that yet. Even off Instagram? Yeah, even off Instagram. Wow. Um, so Kathleen's a ghost. See her in person or don't see her at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can find we've written things for thepostwriter.com. Uh, we have another podcast called The Real Life Oscar Challenge with my roommate Lars that you can listen to as well. I have a podcast with Flores called Running Mains that you can also listen to. Until next time, uh, thanks so much, and don't drink at work. You could just this whole situation could have been avoided if people just did not drink at work. <laughs> but uh, but thanks for listening. <laughs>